0: Welcome to The Unconventional Path, Entrepreneurship and Innovation Stories and Ideas. Hello, I'm Bala Musitz, coming to you from upstate New York. I'm a former three-time entrepreneur, venture capitalist, and business school professor.
1: And coming to you from Münster, Germany, I'm Mike Wasserman, Professor of International Management at the Münster University of Applied Sciences. Thanks for joining us today. When Bela and I were both on the faculty at Clarkson University, Bala and I would have lots of interesting conversations about how the world is changing, and specifically about how innovation and entrepreneurship are changing. We do this over a cup of coffee or over lunch, as time allowed. Um, Almost two years ago, I moved to Germany, and then shortly thereafter, Bela retired. Uh, But Bela had the really, I thought, wacky idea to continue these conversations in the form of a podcast. Uh, Essentially, continuing the conversation and inviting others to join in. I thought initially this was a horrible idea. I don't consider myself a podcast guy, but Bella, as usual, was right. Uh, And we've had a great time so far. Almost a year, I think a little over a year now, right, has gone by.
0: Yep. Uh, We're uh, over 50 episodes, well over 50 episodes now, and we've been doing this for over a year. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah. Hey, so join us each week as we talk with interesting people we've met to share their stories, ideas, and insights into innovation, entrepreneurship, and these people who take unconventional paths to find
1: happiness and work in life. Speaking of interesting people, Baylot, tell us about this week's episode.
0: Yeah, today was uh, really a, a good one, I think. Uh, it was a, a three-person interview, uh, meaning total of three people on a Skype call. So that was a little bit of experimentation and pushing the outer limits for us, but it worked very well, I think. Uh, so our guests today are Emily Socorsi and Justin Foster, And together, they founded a company called Root & River, where they work with companies on developing, building, and maintaining their brand identity. And I think they take a pretty unique approach to this, and I found it really interesting uh, to learn about, number one, how they think about brand, how they help companies think about brand. And another interesting aspect to this was how their company actually started. Uh, So there's an interesting story there as well. So I hope you guys enjoy the episode.
1: Agreed. But before we begin, Bela, let me take a second to remind our listeners that our podcast today is brought to you in part by the law firm of Phillips Lytle LLP. And this is a sponsorship that makes a lot of sense to both of us. Bela, you know this firm well, don't you?
0: I sure do. I've worked with these uh, folks, uh, the key entrepreneurship practice partners at Phillips Lytle for over 20 years. Uh, These guys are nationally recognized attorneys, and they take an entrepreneurial approach to legal matters And they have a long history of success with startup businesses. Philips Lytle is my go-to team for guiding startup businesses down
1: the path to success. So we're excited to have Philips Lytle as our show sponsor. You and I both know that they think like entrepreneurs, taking a pragmatic approach to getting things done and spotting issues before they become problems. So we're happy to say that if you need good, solid advice starting, funding, or selling a business, Whether you're a single person startup or working on a nine figure exit, Bela and I can confidently recommend the attorneys at Phillips Lytle. Bela, what's the best way for listeners to get in touch with them?
0: Well, for more information, contact Rich Honan, who is a Phillips Lytle partner. If you are the old school, like uh, if you're an old school phone person like Mike and I, then you can give Rich a call at 518 618 1225 or if you're of the new generation that prefers online communication, you can reach directly. You can reach Rich directly from his website at phillipslytle.com. That's p h i l l i p s l y t l e dot com.
1: And it'll be great for us if you let Rich know that you heard about Phillips Lytle from listening to the Unconventional Path podcast. Okay, with that said, let's jump right into today's interview with Emily and Justin.
0: Hello, listeners. Today, I'm here with Emily Emily Socorsi and Justin Foster. Uh, They are the co-founders of Root & River. Welcome to the show.
2: Thank you. We're happy
3: to be here.
0: Nice to be here. Yeah. We're actually on a three-way Skype conversation here. So, uh, there may be some pauses uh, that our listeners will see because the timing and all of those things, it gets a little more awkward when there's more people, but uh, this will be a good one. So let me ask you guys uh, a quick question. Um, well, first of all, oh, thank you very much for being on the show. I really appreciate you taking the time to do that. Uh, so if, you, if you're at a social event and uh, you, know, you go through the introductions, hello, hello, and then the person says to you, Emily... Or Justin, uh, what do you do? How do you respond to that question?
2: So I would say, well, I believe every great brand is a spiritual experience. And I'm the co-founder of Root and River. And we help defiant leaders uncover and articulate the foundational elements of their brand. So what their brand mission is, what the brand beliefs are, and then that core message and how that gets um, distributed out to the greater world.
0: Yeah, and how do you respond, Justin?
3: You know, similar. We, we, I would say you know, that uh, I may pose it as a question, like, do, um, do you think that great brands should feel like a spiritual experience? And then I'll go, I don't know, or they'll say yes or whatever. And I'll just, Well, that's the, we help create that feeling by working with leaders that have, the, organize their business and their brand around their mission. And and I usually will say something like we, we help leaders and brands show the outside world, their inside world, because that's where the brand really is. It's not an external construct.
0: Yeah. Oh, very nice. So I think this is a great topic because as I've worked with entrepreneurial businesses in the past, many of them are, are so excited and, focus all of their energy into their product or service and they don't really think about building their brand uh and what the brand means to their customers and and i will say for a period of time i i ran i owned part of and ran a high-end bicycle manufacturing wow. business uh, we we sold six thousand dollar bicycles if you can believe wow. that and this was uh 15 years ago if not more and uh there was a person there who did our marketing, and she was exceptional at building a community around that brand uh, and doing these events for our current customers, uh, which then propagated the message to prospective customers, and, and she was a real master at that. Uh, can you give some examples of why this is important and some of the things that you can do with regard to that?
2: Absolutely. So branding is, as Justin alluded to in his answer, it's an inside job. It, brand A brand really radiates from the inside out. And in the 20th century, we were taught the opposite, that its brand is like an external construct. It's really what you hope the market, you, what you, you've tried to figure out what the market wants you to say and wants you to be, and you've started on this external origin. And then you've kind of cobbled together that language and that spirit to try to present it to the world as really a manufactured reality sort of approach outside in. And you can't do that anymore. Um, brands that are out of alignment with who they are are exposed in today's fishbowl of the culture. Um, so we need to shift our thinking to understand who we are as individuals. We spend a third of our life on our work. And if you're an entrepreneur listening to this, you know, it goes way beyond that. You pour your heart and your soul into your business, your brand. And it is a reflection of you out in the world. So when we have that clarity and we know who we are, we can go ahead and shine that light and it, it acts as a beacon. So people are attracted to that light. And that Bella is the heart of a community is the people voluntarily coming to say, I want to be a part of that mission. I believe what you believe and I align and I connect. I'm having the spiritual experience with what you're trying to create in the world. And so we were actually on a call with a client yesterday and they were having a robust discussion about the language that we had helped them uncover and articulate about the soul of their brand. And one of the participants said, that's right. We need to remember that we are emitting this signal into the world because the conversation had strayed into, well, will this attract this type of person or will this attract this type of person? And it was reorienting to know this is who we are. So let's share that. And then whoever shows up, we're going to take great care of them. And we're going to nurture that conversation. So I just challenge everyone to kind of start thinking a little bit differently about branding and um, and begin to think of yourself with that analogy as a beacon um, into the world instead of trying to fuss about and understand what the world wants you to be.
0: Mm, excellent. Excellent. So if I'm, a, if I'm a small business, I'm just, you know, I've been in business maybe a year. I'm getting ready to introduce my product to the marketplace. Uh, what are some of the things that, that you will help me think through or that you'll do with me to, to kind of get clarity in this area?
3: Yeah. Uh, so regardless of your phase of business, where you're at, and your size of business, the way that we teach what we call intrinsic branding is kind of this three-phase continuum probably more like a feedback loop, but it but kind of goes with the order of what you need to get right. The first is you got to get your language right. So not just your messaging, that's important. You, people, you need to be able to communicate with people at a heart-based level that produces an oxytocin or serotonin response and not just a dopamine hit. Yeah, you got to do all that stuff, but you got to get your internal language right. Um, and that's around like understanding what your mission is so that your mission isn't just some cobbled together statement that nobody remembers, but it truly it's, you, it burns with enthusiasm um, to your standards, the way you behave as an organization, what's expected of each other. That's the first step. Um, the second step is then implementing contemporary or modern marketing systems, what we call infrastructure, essentially, is that this is where a lot of entrepreneurs, especially in the scenario you gave, Bella, of they've been in business for a year, they don't really know what to do. And so we help our clients. Um, we guide on the best decisions to make related to the type of marketing systems that work for them. So it could be, if it was a small business, you certainly need a new website. You need a CRM of some sort like MailChimp to do email marketing. You need some sort of discipline structure for content generation, but if that's all of the plumbing as it were. And then the final phase is amplification and our mantra with amplification is you should pay for retention, not attention. So advertising typically for a small business owner is a sign that your product isn't interesting. Um, So you think of your premium products and services that are out there today, especially that are smaller businesses, they don't advertise because they don't have to because they're awesome and everybody knows it. So amplification there is much more about sort of, um, inviting the customer base to be part of your marketing through word of mouth and we we talk about this a lot is we're not really looking for customers we're looking for believers because believers or or ambassadors or whatever you want to call them they will go out and they will talk about um your brand in perpetuity as long as they feel the love
0: excellent excellent
3: are are there
0: examples of companies that uh, you know may, maybe a fair number of folks will be familiar with that do an exceptional job at this that you guys can think of?
2: Absolutely. So one of the examples we love to give is Southwest Airlines. So they began, Herb Kelleher began that company with a set of beliefs, and those beliefs are continuing to be lived out today in the brand, not just in what uh, Southwest represents in its ad campaign. But in the experience that you have on their aircraft with their people who want to infuse fun, one of the values, into every trip and every interaction and who um, feel that they are in the service business, they are there to open up a channel for people to connect to attend grandma's uh, 100th birthday, um, which was really the seed of the idea that her had that he wanted to give the opportunity to all people to be able to travel in an affordable way. So you see those beliefs being carried out in the brand experience and in the advertising. Um, and, and it's a consistent, steady um, brand experience that we have with Southwest. Yeah, I
3: would throw in um, one that doesn't get talked about a lot but has raving fans, and it's, uh, it's based in Texas called Bucky's. And Buc-ee's is, this, uh, they're a convenience store, truck stop, and they are phenomenal at the brand experience. They've taken something, and this is what we love about Southwest too and others, is they're not trying to differentiate on product superiority in the sense that they, they didn't invent a different way to do pump gas and Southwest didn't invent a different way to fly. What they're doing is they put, they went all in on customer experience. And the and the way that Bucky's um, uses um, creative billboards along the freeway, the way that they, um, you know, that you see that celebrities wearing Bucky stuff because they, you know, they stopped at a Bucky's to get some, you know, beef jerky or something. It's all of this like family uh, experience that you feel like you're a part of something. And I think that's the consistent thing, whether whatever the brand is, is if you feel like you're a part of it, you're doing something very right.
0: Okay. And as as a, 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 a an entrepreneur with a with a business, um how would I how would I sort of engage with you guys? Tell, walk me through that process. Sort of, you know, I call you up and say, "Hey, I need help." <laughs> uh, you know, my 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 sales are in the tank. Uh, things are not going well. Help me. Uh t- talk talk to me about how you take me through that process.
2: Sure. So for entrepreneurs who are maybe just scaling up and, or they've hit some rocky times, what we, what we do is that we collaborate. We're very collab- collaborative. And we'll come in and help under, well, first of all, we need to understand what's going on. And then we can, can customize our kind of inner journey into the heart of the brand for wherever you're at. For a lot of entrepreneurs, what we have found and what we, we love to do is create little brand sprints. So we help to uncover and articulate the mission. And a word on that, a mission is not a mission statement that's boring. Nobody remembers a run-on sentence, you know, framed and hung on the wall. This is your, your, the reason for being here, the purpose that you're trying to fulfill. One avenue you're trying to fulfill through is your is your work. But there are other obvious parts of yourself that you're still calibrating your, your time here on Earth through the lens of this mission. So we'll help you uncover that. And then we'll help you articulate a core message. Um, And that message is really, it's often referred to as a why. We call it a root belief. It is what your heart has to say to your audience. And so that's the place where we like to begin in this brand sprint style. And then we'll move on to help you develop that into a narrative to understand your differentiators and articulate those. So everything that we do is built around conversations because brands are are born in conversations. We can't communicate if we can't communicate clearly who we are, then we're never going to attract the clients that we want to have. So that's where we begin, and all of our work is around building conversational brand language. So it's not when we work with you, we expect and we encourage and we support you to go out and begin speaking this language, which is really difficult. It requires some courage. Um, we, we can't work with people who aren't willing to be courageous about why they're different and what makes them weird, because that's the space we're going to dig into in those sprints to clarify that language, nail it down, and begin to coach you through how you begin sharing that message internally first, always, and then externally through marketing activities. So we uncover and then we coach you and we take you through a process to help you do that.
0: And, and sort of what's what's the end product of that? What do I have at the end of that experience?
3: So you, there's a number of things that our clients receive that are designed um, to be sort of perpetual, perpetually valuable to them. So one is the is a narrative. It's as as Emily mentioned. It's the language of your brand, documented in what we call a messaging brief, and it's the uh, Rosetta Stone of the language of the brand. And you share it with everybody that touches the brand, especially employees, vendors, partners. Um, you get a strategy output. A strategy deck is one of the outputs, and this is a a portable, shareable vision of where you're taking the brand. And we've designed the strategy deck. So you can actually share it with your customers because you're, you're giving them a peek behind the scenes. And then there's some practical things. We use agile um, and a lot of agile philosophy or methodology in brand execution or implementation. So there's there's typically a some sort of um, web or digital strategy. There's typically some sort of social strategy element to this. Um, And that's customized to each client because not every, not all tools fit all clients. So some are different than others. And uh, essentially what you get is you know who you are, you know what to say, you know what to do. If you know those three things, there's nuance and little bits of finishing and refining need to be done. But you get those three right, you're going to be in the top 5% of your competitors because they don't get those things right.
0: How how long is a typical engagement?
2: We typically work with our clients from our smaller clients, maybe four to six months. Um, on the larger end of clients, we'll work with them for two years um, or more in some cases if yeah. it's a larger organization.
3: It, it, a lot of it, and, a lot of it, though, is of it, depends on existing habits. You know, branding is a practice, and if and is, I think it was Epicurus said, you can't teach something to someone that thinks they already know it. Um, and so there's some unlearning and then a larger organization, there's the marketing apparatus is just bigger. It just takes longer. It's, you know, it's quicker to turn a a tugboat around than a battle, you know, a battleship. Um, but that's kind of the variances for those two things.
0: And, uh, if I'm a smaller firm and let's say I, I don't have a marketing organization except for, you know, maybe one person. Do you help me with the execution of this as well?
2: Well, yes, we do. We help pair you. We do some early execution around the language with you. And then we help pair you with a marketing executor. So we've developed a studio of partners that we have vetted and used ourselves in our own marketing and our own work. And we recommend and we introduce you to other individuals who are specialists in their specific practice. So we are not an agency, but we know that all the spiritual work and all this articulation doesn't matter if we can't execute. We want to match our execution to where you are as an organization. So that's why we take the studio approach. And we never take kickbacks or commissions. These are recommendations based on our experience and our expertise with our partners.
0: Yeah. And uh, how long ago did you guys uh, start this business?
3: Um, we started it uh, legally or technically five years ago in January. Um, we've been out and doing our thing openly for four years. Um, and this all came out of uh, Emily and I met at a conference. And our first discussion was in kind of an argument. And I, I think we were intrigued by each other and the fact that iron sharpens iron. And she brought me into her company first because I, I've been a brand strategist for, since 2003 and she brought me into her company to help her, um, with, uh, with re- a rebrand or reintroduction of the brand. And we just, you know, I, this is a somewhat dated example, but you know, it's like, it's like Kenny and Dolly, you know, we are we, Kenny Rogers and Dolly pardon. It's like our voices just went well together. And, um, we have a very interesting dynamic because we live in different cities Um, you know, you certainly have the, you don't see a lot of male, female partnerships uh, unless they're married and we're, we're married, but not to each other. Uh, and just all these various dynamics that led it to be where we're at today, which is somewhat of, um, it's somewhat magical where we're at because there are many, many times it could have failed.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So what's a, what's a typical day like for you guys?
2: That's a great question. So a typical day usually begins with um, checking in with our team um, and then Justin and I checking in with each other. That's really important. Um, We have learned in a virtual company that that communication is paramount. Um, And then we will be working on languaging perhaps for a client. Um, This morning we were working on some messaging and some strategy for a brand program for a leadership group. Um, so we're, we're developing um, and refining some of our content there. And then we, we have sessions not dissimilar to this with our clients, where we're coaching them through that process of uh, having already kind of gone through the brand discovery, but now coaching into implementation and some of the language refinements. Um, and, yeah, we always sort of loop back to one another at the end of the day to see where things are at. And um, Justin might jaunt off and do a speech in the middle of the day. I might go to a women's business group meeting uh, on any given day or have lunch with a contact here at Scottsdale. So we're both pretty outgoing. Um, but we also really love the process of collaborating. And we'll have several disagreements along the way, to be honest with you, Bella. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just, as Justin mentioned, yeah. disagreement is part of our dynamic. And um, we're really open about that. And we're really open about working through those disagreements and i think on the other side of them is always some creative collaboration that comes out of it and a refinement of ourselves as people but also of the relationship that we have which is really the foundation of the beautiful thing that is root and river and it's what we work on so that we can give it to our clients in a in a really powerful way
0: yeah so root and river root and river is the name of the the company and so what's your brand
3: well, I, that's a great question. You, uh, you've asked two questions we haven't been asked before, so that makes me happy. Um, I, I would say our br- brand is a blend of the spirit, spiritual and the practical. Um, we often get called somewhat jokingly and somewhat seriously as brand therapists. Um, you know, we are helping our clients, I mean, you know, a client's business, reflects who they are as people. And so businesses also have an identity crisis and they also have imposter syndrome and they also worry and fear and things like that. And um, because so because we're, we're Socratic in our approach and we're non-prescriptive, we're non-formulate, um, we end up where um, we don't sell a lot to our friends. Our friends don't become clients, but most of our clients become dear friends. Because there's an intimacy and a, and a sacredness to this approach, um, I would say I would say that's probably the, the, the closest thing to saying to, to answering your question. I would also say we are Emily and I are both aware that we are the product. I mean, Root and River is our company, but they're buying us and Jen and Kat. It's our team. That's it, and then our studio, as, as I mentioned. And so there's an element too of where we are both independent and on social media we don't run everything through root and river as, as m said she gives talks i give talks we love doing it together but we've de- we've designed this so that people get a flavor for what root and river is all about and what we believe in um it, who, regardless of which which of us they interface with we're not interchangeable but we are very much in sync
0: yes very nice So before the two of you ran into each other at that uh, conference and had that nice conversation, uh, what were each of you doing before then?
2: So I was the VP of corporate communication for a human behavioral research company. And so I was directing all of our brand efforts, marketing, digital design, and I had an awesome team of, of people who were helping me coalesce that brand. Um, and then before that, I was a I was a journalist for eight and a half years, and uh, who I am at my core is a writer, so I've always been a translator of emotions and experiences into words. Um, so I've always been doing that, but that's where I was the moment that I met Justin.
3: Oh, very
0: nice. How about you, Justin? So my
3: background's in sales. Um, as far as I know, I'm one of the very, very few branding people that came out of the sales world. Most branding people come out of either client side or agency side. Um, and I, um, my life is up until really root and river, it was a series of saying yes to accidental moments. And it was, um, but uh, the, along the way, I was a CMO for a contract CMO for several firms um, around the United States. I was the CMO of a startup, a co-founder of a startup that we took to um, acquisition um, and uh, uh, and um, so uh, a lifelong entrepreneur, I grew up on a cattle ranch in Eastern Oregon. So my cheesy dad joke is I've been in branding my whole life. <laughs> uh, <laughs> thank you. And, uh, and so that, um, you know, I was raised by entrepreneurs around entrepreneurship. And even though I had a kind of a, a I had a corporate background in sales, I, I, knew, I knew where I wanted to be. And I just didn't know it was going to look like this. That was the cool that's one of the best parts of life I'll be forty nine next week, and I had no idea my life would look like this, and I would get to do things get to get to do the things I'm doing with people the people I get to do it with, especially Emily and Jen and Kat and our clients of course
0: yeah, you know uh this being sort of a a podcast that's focused on entrepreneurs and entrepreneurial thoughts and actions. One of the things you said there really struck me. It's It was saying yes to accidental moments. I mean, that's a great quote that captures, I think, uh, the spirit of many entrepreneurs because they're the ones that say yes to those mm-hmm. things. Uh, the vast majority of people say no. Yeah. And, and uh, if you say no, then it's business as usual. Right. If you say yes... Uh, you never know what's behind the curtain, yeah. and uh, that's where the excitement yeah. is.
2: Yeah, I, I think was it, thinking, it, if you say yes, it's if you say yes, it's like chaos is <laughs> behind the curtain, but it's creative and it's inspiring and it's your own. And I think that's very well said by Justin. Yeah, thank
0: you. And so, was there a was there a moment after you guys? So I'm going to focus a little bit now on the business itself and the creation of the sure, business. Sure. Uh, so did like a light go off and you guys like, uh, called each other a week after your conference and said, you know what, we should work together and start a business or how did sort of this, this thing turn into uh root and river?
2: Yeah, sort of just like that. I mean, we began, we sort of, um, kicked conversations back and forth for a little while. And then I made a decision, um, with my team at the time to bring Justin in to help us work on the brand. And um pretty So this
0: was to bring this was to bring Justin into that company that where you were working. Okay.
2: Correct. Yes. And so it was pretty early in the process, I would say, you know, we met um and had dinner the night before the session and we had great conversation and then during the session I was sitting there going, Wow, this guy, he he reminded me Bella of a street performer who is playing guitar and has the the harmonica at his mouth and is hitting the uh the drum
0: a one-man band
2: exactly he was doing all of that during the session taking notes facilitating challenging assumptions presenting a new way of thinking and it was just so much and I was like okay I think I could probably help refine because it's brilliant it's great it's a great sound um and not that he wanted me to
3: um
2: but and then we, you know, as we kind of got into the work and then everything was sort of blown apart and uh, the, the engagement was over and everyone's minds were spinning and um, he was getting ready to leave because he was in this con- traditional consultant mode where you come in, you do your thing and then you leave. And I really hadn't worked with many consultants. So I said to him, this is what you do. You come in, you blow stuff up and then you, you leave. And he's like, yeah. And I said, no, no. I said, that's not going to work for me. You're going to have to help me figure out how to put this all back together. And he looked at me and said, who are you? And I said, who are you? And that was the way the conversation ended. Um, And so I think really the seed of Root and River almost began at that moment. Um, It was a saying yes. Like eventually it was like, I think what we're doing is amazing. This collaboration that began in that moment and we could probably do it for other people. But it was also a saying no. for both of us. Like I said, no, like that's not going to work for me. And Justin was like, okay, no, I'm not going to do this the way I usually have. And so I think that that's an, you brought up the saying Yes. But I also think sometimes it's about saying no to like the, the traditional path. And that was really, I think the beginning, um, in that moment. And then uh, probably about six months later, we had the discussion of like, this is actually a thing within itself and we could help other people Mm -hmm. with it.
3: And we saw, I mean, to that point that Em said about no, um, Emily was on track to be the CEO of the company, um, fairly certain that was going to happen. And so by going into business with me, that was, you know, that was a huge shift. Um, You know, I was a lone wolf entrepreneur, you know, I was like, it was like this refined person met this mountain man, you know, in many ways, as far as when it comes to just rough around the edges, and then I had a moment um, where one of the companies I was doing contract CMO work for offered me a partnership, and I remember sitting in their conference room. And they offered I, it was it an amazing package. It was like a, a couple of years prior to that, I would have, you know, pinched myself. And I remember these words coming out of my mouth, and I can I could feel them come up. And I did not want to say this because there was a big part of my ego that wanted to say yes to this company. I said. No, I'm going to start something with Emily, and it was like proclaiming it out loud. That was this un, that, that was then this cascading effect of, you know, uh, here's what I believe, uh, Bella. That courage, um, that that uh, that providence responds to courage. If you take courageous acts, you know, it's the old British naval saying, "Fortune favors the bold." It's um, it's that that providence will will respond or is attracted to courage. And every single time we've expressed, we've been courageous. Providence has ensued, usually after chaos.
0: (laughs) Right, right. But that's chaos is part of the fun, I think. For me, right. I mean, that's (laughs) at least to me, that's what makes it exciting. Otherwise, I get bored really easy. I don't know how you guys are, but you know, there's not a lot of experiences I like repeating over and over and over again. And and so I get bored really easy. And it's that it's that trying that new thing. Because you're going to learn something, you're going to meet new people, you're going to expand your horizons. That's, that's the, the great thing about it, I mm-hmm. think. It is.
3: it is. So,
0: yeah. So, you guys have this business together. Uh, how do you sort of divide up the the pie? Uh, not, not the, but you know, who does what? The mm-hmm. responsibilities. Is there one lead person for certain types of activities and et cetera? How do you do that?
2: not very much i mean we were told and advised early on like you need to separate your activities and you have to have role clarity and and i understand that logic um and we've tried at certain points to maybe implement some of that with them for us it's just not really the way that we are We're we are i know i keep saying it but we're just super collaborative and part of the fun for us is like our mantra is to do work we love with people we love and that that starts with us and that that extends out to our clients and so we really love collaborating. Um, we also are both sticklers for excellence. Um, we want to make sure everything is as close to not perfect cause I'm a recovering perfectionist, but excellent as possible. And so we, we, we tend to focus our efforts together on most things, but just, Justin takes a lot of the lead, um, with business development, um, although I do it a little bit as well. Um, I take more of the lead on some of the, more of the financial interworking. Um, not that I enjoy that all that much, but it's needed. Um, and then we, what we've also done is the things that have both um, drain both of our batteries. We have found partners to help us partner with us to, to provide those services like tax services, financial support and sure. those sorts of things. So we try to outsource or collaborate with people so that we can really be focused on caring for clients, working on messaging, um, and stick very true to what we wanna we wanna do, that we enjoy as human beings, that we get the most out of. Yeah, I'm yes. not really driven
3: yes. in all my years of being an entrepreneur, I've never really been driven by like scale, like this idea that, you know, put somebody asked me the other day, well, how are you scaling your business? I It made me grumpy because I hate, I think it's a lazy question, but I, my answer was, I'm not trying to scale our business. I'm trying to scale my happiness. And so that means that you have to say no to some things and, and practice self-care. And, and, um, I think too, using a, a rancher ranching term of writing point, you know, it's the, we take turns writing point point is the, like the lead cowboy in a cattle drive. And we take turns doing that and, but we never do it for so long that the herd thinks that we're the, we're the main, you know, we, we take turns um, in that process. And it's very natural. Sometimes it's, one of us has a a whim of an idea. Like I remember coming back up to, I think it was just a weekend or something. And Emily had created this amazing new community for our clients an online community for our clients. And then other times I'll, you know, I, I'll bang away at some ideas and we share them out on Google docs. We call it a sandbox. We play with it. We, and, and when we're, we're not afraid to invent and like Google or Adobe, we're not afraid to kill it either. Like if something doesn't work, we're like, Oh, that didn't work. And so we get rid of it and do something else um, that comes yeah. from um, a, a place of enorm an enormous emotional bank account of trust with each other.
0: Yeah. I think a couple of things I'd like to expand upon there. Uh, One is I think in many organizations, one of the most difficult things to do is to stop doing something that you're currently doing. Um, and you sort of made a point of that, right? If it's not working, we're going to, we're going to stop. How do you make that decision? How does that process happen?
2: Mm, I think that's harder for me (laughs) to get so attached. Um, but I think in the times that we've stopped, like we have, we both very much believe as entrepreneurs, I think maybe we're, we're biased towards this, but we believe in like failure. One of my favorite quotes um, is actually Tyler Perry was being interviewed on a, on a podcast. I think he was Oprah's podcast. And he said, I just simply don't believe in failure because whatever the experience is, I can always use something that was in the experience. And I just, I love that idea. And so when we're creating... We know that there's always something that comes out of it. So I think when we go through the process of creating something, um, we're learning as we go. And then if it falls flat, which is done many times, um, I, I think we, we, we judge based on the audience reaction because we are in a bit of an echo chamber as we, in that creative process and we have to be. Um, And so if people aren't ready for it or it doesn't get the response, we do have to kind of kill it, but it's almost more of an evolution of like, let's take that piece or like that one thing worked really well. And people, even if it's just like people responded to the way that we phrased that, what could we use that for? And I think both of us were pretty obsessive about everything that we do being kind of used in another way. This idea of like sustainability inside of our creative process, Let's, you know, it gives us room to like play and then grab a piece and then discard the rest and continue to iterate. Um, But I I think it goes back to audience response. And um, sometimes I wonder if we're not like pushing it out there quite enough. So I'll consider whether or not we should go again. But I think this time and audience response is, is where we get our answer from.
3: And we have feedback loops everywhere. Um, so after a root session, which is our primary, um, experience for like a small to mid-sized business, um, it's like a, a day of brand day, day, two days of brand immersion. They get a follow-up survey. They get a call from Cat, our chief of staff to see how it went from an emotional standpoint. Um, we do brand labs usually once every other month that are like these virtual two hour, um, like, um, you know, small fee type things. Everyone that goes to that gets a survey, and this is just a, kind of an extension. Is that we want to be the model for what we teach our clients. Um, we, we, you know, nobody trusts a chubby personal trainer. You know, so we want to be in shape. We want to be on. We want to be disciplined. We want to be uh, real. We want to be all the things we would teach someone else. And so that's where that's where this idea about failure or deciding something isn't going to work. It's, it's, um, with, that's what we would teach a client as well.
0: So is this, uh, is this something that, uh, after I have an engagement with you guys that, uh, at some point in the future, I need a booster shot.
3: <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. We get that. yeah, we get that. We have, um, clients that will come back in and do what we, what we simply call a reroute session, which is they reestablish, especially if they're going from like, Um, struggling startup to like hyper growth mode and they don't want to lose their soul because you can lose your soul in that, in that jump. Um, So rerouting around that then, um, and we do booster shots. I like that term um, around reexamining the language, um, the same three things we talked about earlier, reexamining the language, reexamining the platforms that you're using and looking at the results and then reexamining your amplification strategy. Um, what we generally don't have to give a client booster shots on is their mission though, and their standards. Once you know those things, you're going to use them till you're dead to be blunt about it. Um, so the booster shot is more of a reminder and a recalibration than anything.
0: Yeah. If, uh, if I have a company, you know, a hundred, 200 people um, and we're working with you guys and you're working probably with the leadership team at some point in time. Um and and they all sort of buy in and get this because they're they're participating with you. Uh do you help them sort of now uh propagate that out through out the employee team and the rest rest of the folks within their organization? Yes,
2: yeah, so that's precisely how we work. We start with the leadership team. Um and uh, or it could start with the, the marketing leader and then spiral outward. But all branding sort of adheres to that natural law that things grow circularly. And so we're not big fans of huge brand rollouts or announcements. We like to just sort of begin the conversation and then take it out to a larger group and, and get their take on it, um, get their reactions to it, their emotional reactions to it. We also do a lot of surveying prior to our brand discovery work to bring people into the conversation before it's even begun. Um, And so, yeah, we will eventually have that conversation with a wider group until we've hopefully touched everyone in the organization and provided opportunities for them to participate in the brand. So one of our clients based here in Scottsdale, we started working with the two co-founders. And then we began um, working with our leadership team. We worked with them for about six months. Then we worked with their sales team. And we we, went, we took them through a lot of the exercises that we do in a root session so that they could begin to deepen and under, understand their brand as well. And then eventually the whole organization participated in some activities that we put together to help make that brand even more real. And it was also carried through on visual art, on the wall, and the space that they occupied, um, but not in an impositional or di- dictatorial sort of manner, but in a in a uh, momentous um, manner, mm-hmm. a very organic kind of a, an approach. Yeah.
0: So uh, I want to start wrapping this up. We've been we've been going over 40 minutes. Um, if uh if you were to uh, to give three or four bits of advice to uh, a CEO who's running a business, whether it be a new startup or a small to medium sized business, uh, what what would those uh, words of advice be?
3: I'll give two. One is um, organize your brand around your organize your business around your brand and organize your brand around your mission. Business models change. The market is a fickle fickle mistress. Um, and when you when you there's a there's a case to be made its own study here of brands are organized around a business model. The brands that die, they, they, they become obsolete. Um, Disney is an example of a brand that never organized around its business model. It organized around its brand. And it's still, you know, Walt Disney would recognize his company today. Um, the second uh, piece of advice is how you if you're the CEO, I would say to you how you lead is the brand that your leadership behavior will show up in the brand. And so you can reverse engineer that from like, almost like a, 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 like a, like an airplane crash, you know, like you reverse engineer what happened is if, when, when there's a, a bad, when a bad, when something bad happens to the brand, you can inevitably trace it back to a particular type of leadership behavior. And and we often say, you know, being a, in the modern world of business, if you're an a hole, everybody knows it. It it might get you elected, but it's not a good brand strategy. And so the, the, this, this awareness that we want to infuse awareness into a leader of a CEO or a leader and say, listen, who, how you treat you and, and how you treat everyone else is the brand.
2: And I would say, you have to. Yeah. I would say, pay attention and understand who you're trying to repel. So branding is much more about repulsion than it is about attraction. And again, that's a bit of a flip for us because we think, oh, I need all the people to find me and do business with me. Actually, if you focus on understanding who you are, putting your beliefs out there into the world, you will attract people, but you'll also repel the people who do not believe what you believe and who, if you had not been that clear, would come into your environment, your ecosystem, and drain your time, energy, and money. Um, if you've been in business for any amount of time, you've probably had to face the uncomfortable reality of firing a client. But when you are mindful about who you're trying to attract as well as who you're trying to repel, you can be much more efficient in your brand. So just flipping that switch. And the second thing is that marketing is does not have to be so overwhelming. I have a very simple formula. And marketing is clarity of message delivered consistently over time. And I think if we focus on that, get your message crystal clear in your heart, and your head, in your words, uh, delivered consistently. So you have to have a practice. Um, Justin mentioned earlier, branding is a practice. So how are you going to practice that? Like you would practice yoga or running. And then over time, so how do we make it sustainable? What support do you need to make that happen? And um, I I give that formula because it is so loud and so noisy and there's so many demands in the marketing space. You have to do this, you have to do that. Focus on that formula first, get that going, and then you can add in other pieces as you go and you don't have to feel so overwhelmed.
0: Ah, very, very well said, thank you. So uh, Emily and and, and Justin, um, is there, First of all, I want to thank you very much for being being on the podcast. Uh, this was great. I really enjoyed our conversation and discussion. Uh, is there anything that uh, I didn't ask you that I should have, or anything that I left out that's important?
3: No, you're. I mean, in my book, you're very very thorough um, in the discussion. So I was going to say challenge accepted, and then I realized I didn't really have anything else to say about it. <laughs> <laughs>
2: I think for me, well, the, thank un- you. the only thing that I would add is that people are more than welcome to reach out to us at RootandRiver.com. Our social handles is at RootandRiver. Um, my individual one is at Emily at Large. And um, Justin.
3: I'm foster superior. thinking. Mm-hmm.
2: We're very accessible and we'll answer any questions about branding or marketing that you might have. And we just welcome the conversation.
0: Well, perfect. And I will make sure all of that contact information is in the show notes. Beautiful, Great. So uh, thank you very much for being on the show. I appreciate thank
3: it. Thank you
2: so much. Thank you. Really-
1: Bela, thanks. That was a great interview. Uh, two really interesting guests and a really interesting organization that they've founded and grown. Um, this whole idea of spirituality, of connecting mission to the brand, Uh, And moving the brand from something constructed for external audiences, like artificially, like what's going to sound good and what's going to resonate with our customers uh, to something that comes from the inside. What are the core values? What's the mission? Um, And moves out so that uh, there's really a connection between the customers and the people who work inside the organization. I, I just thought that was a really great way to frame it. Um, what do you think of their approach to branding? Is, is this kind of inside-out uh, rather than outside-in approach always the better approach? Does this work for, for all organizations?
0: Well, that's a good question, Mike. I, I don't know if it works for all organizations or not. Uh, but I do think it's a very interesting approach and a very valid approach, and certainly one that makes a lot of sense to me. You know, I've seen lots of companies where sort of uh, their brand is their latest slogan, and uh, what they sort of radiate out to the outside world is very different than what's radiated inside to their employees and within their organization. And I think that's where, that's where you run into trouble uh, when these two things are not connected. And I, and I think uh, uh, today's guest really uh, pushed the point uh, or made the point that it's important to have these two things linked together, both what you're radiating outside and what you're radiating inside uh, to within your organization, because then there's an alignment and then there's a truth and honesty to what you're doing. Uh, so it makes a lot of sense to me. And I think there's, excuse me, I think there's you know companies that we've seen in the past that do a very, very good job at this, where regardless of sort of what their product is and maybe their product has changed over time, uh, they still have some founding principles uh, that they believe in that drive the company forward, uh, and those principles apply not just to employees, but also to customers. And I think that's the important one of the important differentiators here. Oftentimes, you see there's a set of sort of internal principles that companies use for their employees, and then there's external principles that they talk about. But think about why should those be different? Um, you should treat individuals the same way. Uh, and I think that's that was an important point. What did you think, Mike?
1: Yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I think of a couple of the, from an entrepreneurial standpoint, we had, what, Nicole Snow of Darn Good Yard and Charlotte Hayden of uh, Better Flavor Company, right, uh, in the last year. And those were two great examples of passionate entrepreneurs that really had a strong identity and a strong... Uh, vision and mission, um, and and that's part of their branding, and it's been part of their success, and it's built um, community right around both those brands so far. Even though they're both kind of still fairly young companies, um, from the big company standpoint, I mean, probably the listeners don't know, or a few of you know, uh, but Bela, you know, I'm always wearing a Patagonia fleece. Right. I've got like seven of them in, in different colors and I'm always wearing them. I love the product and I love the brand and not that I'm trying to pitch or shill anything, but the the brand is really an interesting story. And the, it was founded. Well, you know, the story better than I do, because you're a you're a mountaineer, dude. I'm like a TV watching f- beer drinking person. <laughs> right. But yeah. talk about how the company was founded and, 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 and kind of what their core values are. And then I can help bring it into the, the modern the modern era. Sure,
0: sure. So it was started by a guy named Chouinard, uh, who was a mountain climber and uh, was uh, frustrated <clears throat> by the fact that uh, the way you climbed a mountain is that you basically took these metal spikes and you hammered them into cracks in the, in the rock. And uh, that's how you sort of uh, uh, strung up your safety line so that if you slipped, you wouldn't fall very far. You just fall down to where that next... Uh, piton was was hammered into the into the rock and uh, what happened was he'd he noticed that uh, these pitons uh, were not retractable once once you hammered them in they didn't come out which is sort of what you want if you're going to fall uh, but they would scar the mountains so he came up with uh, a design that you could put one of these in uh, and it wouldn't come out uh, but if you uh, pushed a little button on it it would come out and you could not only save yourself money uh, but you wouldn 't leave these pieces of metal behind uh, that over the years would uh, scar the mountain and make it look not very nice so that 's how we started was making making climbing gear, technical climbing gear, uh, mostly hardware um, for mountain climbers and that company morphed into uh, Patagonia, which is what what, it, what how we know it today, which is a, a huge clothing manufacturer. but the founding principle was Protect the environment, make something that's reusable, uh, and make something that works really, really well. So, bridge us to today, Mike.
1: And today, you're right; they're a very large global company, and they sell a whole range of still selling technical gear, but all the way down to like baby clothes, right? Um, and they a lot of the all of their fleeces now are made using technology where they're using recycled uh, pet milk bottles and uh, 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 soda bottles and things like this. Um, They have a program where you can um, sell your, if you want to buy new, they don't want you to throw it away. So you can either donate it or sell it on a secondary market. They repair stuff. They give you tools to make it last longer. They actually don't want you to buy new gear, right? They want you to get the most out of it and only get rid of it when there's no best second use for it. Um, they're very active politically and it pisses some people off but it endears them to others um, and they really, they do now filmmaking they've made some really cool films on protecting the environment, the fisheries air quality, water quality, so on and so forth. Um, so it's really quite a fascinating company. If you haven't heard of it, it it's an interesting company to do a little reading on and maybe uh, there's been a couple of good articles even recently that um, we can put a links some links up to in the, uh, in the show notes.
0: And, and so these guys are a great example of what Emily and Justin were talking about. The, the brand that they vibrate, both to their employees and to their customers, really uh, is true, and it, it demonstrates what their fundamental values are. And with, with these guys, with Patagonia, that also uh, people proudly buy their products because it represents something. It's, not, it's more than just a sweater. Right. It, when, when you wear your Patagonia uh, fleece or I wear my Patagonia ski jacket, right, that represents something. And I want to be part of that. So so that's a, that's an way that you can sort of leverage your brand uh, if you're true to it. And these guys have done an excellent job at that. And it goes back to those, you know, early principles that I talked about that Chouinard had, which was really good stuff. It's reusable. Right. You can fix it. Uh, and it works really well. And, and those sort of principles kind of echo through everything
1: they do. Yep. And my family will tell you, I don't wear brands like they'll buy me stuff with brands on it and I won't wear it. The only piece of clothing that I wear with a brand that is visible is Patagonia period. Right now that's maybe I'm just, yeah. cause I'm weird. Right. Right. Um, But it's one of the very few companies that I don't mind if the brand is showing on the the piece of clothing. I'm very utilitarian when it comes to clothes. It works. It keeps me warm. It keeps me dry. I'm all good. And I really don't want to advertise for companies, especially when they have crappy um, business processes. So, yeah. So this is the only brand that I'll wear and I'll buy stuff that actually has a brand name visible on it.
0: Yeah. And, you know, it it makes me feel good when I buy their stuff because I know I'm supporting a particular type of a cause. Yep. Right. So again, this is this is exactly an example of I think what what Emily and Justin yep. were talking about when it comes to your brand. Yep. Right? Mission driven ju-
1: branding. Right. It, it, right. And, and it's, it's, it's spiritual. A, it's spiritual. spiritual. It is. It's it, like I'm exactly. not a religious person. Everybody knows this about me. Who knows me? Right. But it's a spiritual thing. Right.
0: Absolutely. It's not just the slogan of the month. Right. It's it's consistent, and and if you stay true to that, you can build. You can really build a good, solid foundation. And I think the other thing that we didn't talk about is that on occasion, if you have a hiccup in something within your business, if you've built this brand, but you stay true to it and you're honest and transparent about it, people forgive, right? There's Agreed. lots of examples of, of you know sort of companies that have, have great brands, and have 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 this spiritual identity that they've hiccuped, and you know the the pe they they you get forgiveness. Uh, and there's hey. other examples of companies that you know are slogan driven. It's the slogan of the month, and they have a hiccup, and boom, it's over.
1: Yeah, think Tesla versus American Airlines. Right, like Tesla has right. had a lot of hiccups along the way, but people so buy into. What the kind of the core values of this company are, right? Sustainable transportation with style and elegance, right? And technology that people will will look past delayed delivery dates or software glitches or whatever. But right, if you're American Airlines and it's just, yeah, this is our slogan right now and they have a bad customer experience, look out. And these social media is filled with right, negativity. So it's interesting. Right. So my hunch is, exactly. you know, you might disagree. I'm sure people, I hope people disagree with me on this. And they have other examples of brands that they love. Uh, let us know. Send us an email and, uh, and you know, we'll be happy to uh, come up with a, a future episode. Um, we can even talk about, have a whole episode dedicated to this about, about um, you know, branding and meaning and connecting with customers and creating community. I think there's a lot more here that's really useful for entrepreneurs as they start to think about brand. Um one last thing that I thought was interesting toward the end of the conversation, they talked about separating brand and business model, okay, so that if you have to pivot your business model, it's not so tied up with the brand, that it really has to be mission-driven and, and value-driven. What's your take on this, Bela?
0: No, I, I agree. I think, I think that's a, a good one. You know, another example is, you know, Apple has uh, sort of has this particular identity and brand, Uh, And they've gone from, you know, selling computers to watches to music to TV shows. So, you know, that's that's a lot of different sort of business models. uh, And they've done well. And and the company we talked about in depth, Patagonia, you know, they went from selling technical climbing gear, you know, pitons and hammers and things like that to clothing. And now they're selling fishing gear and all sorts of stuff. So um, here again if you have your core values sort of locked down, um, what you're selling, the actual physical product itself can change drastically if those core values uh,
1: remain true. Agreed. Last question for you, Bela. What did you think about the evolution of their business? I kind of found this fascinating and what takeaways are most relevant for entrepreneurs specifically that are interested in starting a service business like this?
0: That's a good question, Mike. You know, I, I, Thought the story of sort of how they met uh Emily hired Justin first as a consultant and and uh said hmm this guy's got something going here and uh she was working at a large company at that time and and he was a freelance consultant uh and then they decided to hey you know what we we both we both have the same set of values we both have the same sort of set of principles uh spirituality if we you will we believe in this uh so let's let's we think we can get out uh, on our own and, and, and do this better. And they're, and they're very different people. I don't know if that came through in the uh, in the interview or not, uh, but it's it's clear that uh, they think differently, uh, they approach problems differently, but they have the same sort of fundamental principles and values, and uh, they they built a, a quite a successful business at Root and River, uh, uh, doing this.
1: And they How did you, it virtually, did think? right? They did it virtually. They, they, right? Right? They do. They live separate places. They um they they use a partnership model, right? They said they don't like it's not an ad agency, and they don't take kickbacks or anything like that. It's all hey, we've got these trusted partners. Feel free to work with them, and it works, which makes it scalable, right? So there's a limitation on their time, the two of them, but um, they take turns, kind of as they said, riding point, right? Um, so it's kind of got this flexibility built in and the scalability to a certain extent built, built in. So I think it's a really nice model for a service business, business that other entrepreneurs that are looking for might want. Have the core values, have the passion, make it virtual, make it scalable.
0: Yep. Yep. And I think part of that is uh, they also came to that uh, when they started that business with some significant experience. And, you know, a lot of people want to get into the consulting business, but it's, it's really a challenge to get started. So you, you, have, to have, you have to have a portfolio uh, that you can talk about when you're trying to sell your services to others. And I think they both had pretty strong portfolios that they could bring to the table uh, and, get, and get their customers to,
1: to engage with them. But like any good relationship, the two pieces were good and they made each other better. I think, because they helped hone that message and they helped really create a process, right? Yep, absolutely. Good point. Yep. Cool. What do you think we wrap it up? Sounds good. All right. Well, that's it for this week. Uh, We're really happy that you joined us in our podcasting adventure, and we hope that you found the last hour or so interesting and thought-provoking, just like we obviously did. Uh, As usual, we have a few small requests. First, if you have questions about what you discussed, you want to uh, give me some, give us some separate opinions on brands that you're passionate about, uh, suggestions about future topics or potential guests, please get in touch with us. Uh, best way to contact us is by email, and that address is baila.and.mike at gmail.com. And second, if you like what we're doing, please hit subscribe or like on your podcast app. Uh, and if you really want to be radical and give us a hand, uh, consider writing a quick review. Uh, And as always, if you know others that might find us interesting, please share us with them.
0: So thanks for spending time with us. We look forward to you joining us for our next episode. Signing off from upstate New York. See you next week, Mike.
1: Thanks, Bella. That's great. Signing off from over on the other side of the Atlantic in Münster, Germany. Have a great week.
0: This podcast is produced for Mike and I by our friends at Busy Media of Schenectady, New York. They can be found at BusyMedia.co.